Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. Well, good morning. As Chris said that we are in this series, um, Who is Jesus? Where we're working through the book of John. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn to John chapter 3, that's where we're going to be this morning. Last week, Nate did a great job, I thought, of walking us through John chapter 2. We saw Jesus' power to turn water into wine. And then we saw the authority of Jesus when he picked up a whip and he drove those guys out who were selling things in the temple court and he showed his authority and his love for his father because people were disrespecting it and this is what um, it said in John chapter 2 verse 23 it says many people saw the signs that Jesus was performing and they believed in his name so what you see happening in the book of John as John kind of unfolds it is that more and more people are starting to see Jesus' power, recognize his power, that he's not a normal rabbi. And then today what we're going to see in John chapter 3 is that a rabbi himself begins to not notice Jesus' power. So we're going to look at the life of Nicodemus in John chapter 3 where he comes and begins to acknowledge Jesus' power. Let's pray before we jump into the passage this morning. God, thanks for this day. Thanks for the opportunity to read your word in freedom. We recognize that in the United States, we have privileges that people don't have around the world, um, that we are free. I think as Christians, God, we could all agree that our country feels like it's going the wrong direction, but when we gather on a Sunday morning, we can agree that this is still right, that we can gather in freedom, we can read your word, and we're grateful for that. So speak to us now um, about this passage and show us what you want to do, uh, what you want us to do with what we hear this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I got to give you some background before we jump in and actually read the text. We're going to meet this guy, Nicodemus, as I said, that's his name. He's an elite rabbi. He's not just a rabbi, but he's like the Bible calls him the, a teacher of teachers is what they call him. And they call him this name, a Pharisee. You've read it. If you've read the Bible much, you've seen that before. In verse 1, it's going to tell us that Nicodemus was a part of this thing called the ruling council. Now, the scripture doesn't specifically say that he was a part of this group of 70, which was the Sanhedrin, but it seems among scholars pretty universally accepted that Nicodemus was probably a part of the Sanhedrin. Now, why is that important to tell you? Well, because as Chris takes us through the rest of the book of John, ultimately Jesus will be, as you know, falsely accused and murdered and killed on the cross. And who does it? Who, who, who falsely accuses him? It's this group, this ruling council. It's this Sanhedrin that this guy Nicodemus is a part of. So keep that in mind. Another piece to keep in mind is that this meeting happens at nighttime. Well, why at nighttime? I think it's fair to assume that Nicodemus uh, is the only guy on the ruling council that has a genuine curiosity about Jesus. His buddies, I don't think, felt the same way about Jesus. If you just read the Gospels, the other religious leaders didn't feel that way. Uh, verse 2 is going to tell us that Nicodemus really did think that this could be the one, that he's from God. That's what it says. 
But look what his buddies thought about Jesus. Uh, John chapter 5, verse 18, the religious leaders tried all the more to kill Jesus. These are Nicodemus's buddies on the council. Or in, in John chapter 7, verse 1, it says that Jesus didn't want to go into the town because the Jewish leaders were looking for a way to kill him. Over and over you read this in the Gospels. Well, these are Nicodemus's colleagues. Um, this elite council of religious leaders did eventually do away with Jesus. They eventually got him killed. Well, at least they thought they did away with Jesus, right? Until he resurrected from the dead and started the most influential movement ever known in human history called the church. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus late at night, maybe because he doesn't want his buddies on the religious council to find out. Maybe he doesn't want them to know where Jesus is. Maybe it's an act of protection, some scholars say. Or maybe it's just a practical reason that everywhere Jesus went, the Bible says, there were crowds. And Nicodemus wanted some one-on-one -on -one time. So he had to wait till a late night hour to get his turn for some one-on-one -on -one time. Well, let's read the passage starting in verse 1, chapter 3. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council, who came to Jesus at night. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who came from God, for no one could perform the signs that you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus said it again, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised by my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. And then Jesus answers him, but jump down to verse 13. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who is from heaven, the Son of Man. And Jesus is talking about himself. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Okay, let's take a break there. Now, what's this deal about Moses and the wilderness and a snake? It's kind of like, where's that from? Like, that's just kind of a weird reference, right? Well, it's it's a reference to a story in the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 21, if you want to read it later, where God's people had once again been unfaithful, turned their back on the Lord, didn't trust Him, were against Moses, wanted to go back to Egypt. And so God uh, sends judgment upon them. But then God gives him a way out, as God always does. I love this about God. So God says to Moses, okay, here's what you got to do. Make a bronze snake, put it up on a big pole, and if people get bit by a snake and they're going to die, they can look at the pole, and if they look at the pole, they'll be healed. It was a provision of mercy. It was God's mercy, God's grace. And then so Jesus says in verse 14 and 15, in a similar way to that story in the Old Testament, something much better is happening. And Jesus says that I am going to be lifted up, and I'll be lifted up on a cross, and anyone who believes in me will get ultimate mercy. If they receive me, they'll receive eternal life. We'll go back to John uh, 3, verse 3. Let's go back and when Jesus says, no one can see the kingdom of God 
unless they are, here's the famous quote, born again. Jesus says it very plainly. You cannot see heaven unless you're born again. You cannot have eternal life unless you're born again. Another way of saying the same phrase is, same phrase is that you're born from above. Well, the question then is, what does that mean? What does it mean to be born again or born from above? I mean, Nicodemus was clear on one thing. Well, surely you don't mean something absurd like enter a second time into my mother's womb. I, I know what it doesn't mean, but he couldn't figure out what it did mean. And I think that's true for a lot of us. I mean, we know it. I mean, how, of course you're not going to be reborn physically. He had trouble grasping this idea what Jesus is laying out. The, the theology of regeneration. This is where we get introduced to this theology of regeneration. Now, if you fast forward to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul talks about it. He says, we're dead in our transgressions and our sin, and then we are made new or regenerated is literally the word. We're regenerated in Jesus Christ. That's Ephesians chapter 2. That's for another time. But this is that theology that Jesus is laying out. So let me ask you a question. What then does it mean to be born again? Or let me ask you a different question. Why do we need to be born again? Because people can say, yeah, okay, I've heard the born again deal, but why? Why do I need to be born again? I'm a good person. And the answer is what it says there in Ephesians 2. We need to be born again because of sin. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, you've heard it before. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone is a sinner. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for, all, for the wages of sin is death. You see, this is real important to understand. Our sin puts us on a path or a trajectory away from God. And God doesn't want this. God doesn't want us separated from Him. That was never God's plan. God wants us to be a part of His family. He loves us. He wants to have us a part of his family as his son and his daughter forever. And so, just like in the Old Testament, when Moses put the snake on the pole, God provides a way out, and it's through Jesus Christ. So Nicodemus, he has this sense that Jesus has some power, and he wants to know what that power is. He even knows that Jesus is from God. And so he goes to the right person. He goes to Jesus, and he asks the right question. How can this be? How can I be born again? How can I get this new life? But here's where it changes for Nicodemus. He's not willing to accept the offer that Jesus gives him. He doesn't accept Jesus' invitation. Why? You see, if you're going to be born again, you have to leave your old life. But Nicodemus liked his life. <laughs> He liked his life the way it was. Maybe he liked his status. Maybe he liked his family. Maybe he liked things the way that they were. I mean, sure, he was genuinely intrigued by Jesus, but he was not willing to follow Jesus as his Lord. And it makes me wonder, what about us? Are we intrigued by Jesus? But are we willing to follow him as our Lord? I want to watch the same passage. We're going to read it again, if you will, but we're going to watch it now, uh, and we're going to hope this video clip works. Um, we're going to watch this clip, and uh, let's watch it now, and then I'll make some more comments about it. I just don't, I have so many questions. Shall we see first? Oh, yes. Cool. 
consumes. Mm. Many wandering preachers have succeeded in gathering crowds with their rhetoric and fiery tongue. I've heard a few of them over the years myself. So you know the type. Mm -hmm. But I've never heard any that paralytic to care and walk, much less it actually happened. So what is your conclusion? I believe you are not acting alone. Not one can do these signs you do without having God in him. Only someone who has come from God. And how is that belief going over in the synagogue? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why we are here at this hour. What else? What have you come here to show us? A kingdom. That is what our rulers are worried about. No, not that kind. Then what? A sort of kingdom that a person cannot see unless he is born again. Born again? Yes. You mean like a new creature? A conversion from Gentile to Jewish? No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Then what is born again? I hope you don't mean return to the womb, because that would be a problem for me. My mother, and she rest in peace, is dead. Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. That part of you, that, is what must be reborn to a new life. How can these things be? Ah, a teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things. Huh? I'm trying, Rabbi. I know. I know. Do you hear this? What? Listen. Yes. 
they wanted to return to Egypt and they cursed the manna that God sent them. And then they were bitten by serpents and they would die. But, but God made a way for them to be healed. Moses lifted the bronze serpent in the desert and people only needed to look at it. So will the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Our people are not dying from snake bites. They're dying from taxation and oppression. I'm sorry to disappoint you. That did not come to deliver the people from wrong. But from what? From sin. From spiritual death. God loves the world in this way. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish. But have eternal life. So this has nothing to do with wrong. It's all about sin. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, Nicodemus. He sent him to save it for him. It's as simple as Moses' serpent on the pole. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Have you ever heard it? I told my wife and my students she was beyond human aid. Only God could have healed her. And then I saw him. He healed me.
My heart is swollen with fear and... <laughs> can tell me nothing except that I understand the God. That, uh, that clip is from the Chosen series. If you haven't seen it, um, you got to watch it. Uh, that's all I can say. You just got to watch it. Um, okay, so what happens next is there, there's this late night meeting between Nicodemus and Jesus. And then the Apostle John summarizes the entire meeting that they just had in what is the most quoted Bible verse in the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And then catch this. This is so important. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. So many people think that religion and Jesus is about saying no and condemnation and sending people to hell. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says condemnation is not Jesus' business. Salvation is Jesus' business. Please look at verse 17. He came to save, not condemn. That's the Savior, Jesus, that we worship. And then John tells us that the greatest sin is simply the sin of unbelief. Verse 18, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Jesus doesn't condemn. You have condemned yourself because you didn't believe because you didn't believe in the name of Jesus. And Nicodemus is so close. He's so close, but he's not willing to leave the life that he knew for the new life that Jesus offered him. And it makes me wonder how many of us are the same way. We're not willing to leave what we know for something better that Jesus is giving us. Nicodemus says no to a new life. But what about us? Can, can we know for certain that we've been born again? Can we, can we know without a shadow of a doubt? Let me ask you a question. If I went around the room and said, are you married? You would have a very simple answer. It's yes or no. I mean, what a dumb question, right? I mean, yes or no. It's not a hard question. But if I said to you, are you born again? Are you a Christian? Are you going to heaven? People have a much harder time answering that question with a sense of certainty, yes or no. Jesus is so kind to Nicodemus, and he's so kind to you and to me, because Jesus is showing us how we can have a sense of certainty about our eternity. That's really what this is about. Verse 16, look at it again. 
Whoever believes in Jesus shall have eternal life. Christianity is very, very clear about the entry point to eternity. Later, he's going to make it even more clear. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Getting to heaven, friends, is not complicated. It's very simple. Believe in Jesus. But it's not a casual curiosity like Nicodemus had, but a life that's born again, that yields to the leadership of Jesus. Last month, when our brand new grandson, Drake, came into the world, we got to see him just a couple hours when he was fresh from God, just right then. And we saw his little hands, his little fingers, his little toes. We got a picture of it, I think, there on the screen. I mean, you got to show your grandson, right, um, on the screen. Uh, but it was a miracle. It was an absolute miracle. Childbirth is a miracle. Every child is precious. I mean, think about it. Moments before we saw him, he was inside his mother's womb. He was connected to his life support system, the umbilical cord, right? And that's how he was making life work. And then in a split instant, he comes out and he cries and he breathes air. No scientist has been able to explain how that happens. How do they go from one life support system to another life support system in an instant? They don't know. It's a miracle. We know God does it. God makes it happen. Our fourth grandson, Trey, is inside of his mother's womb. He's getting ready to make the transition soon. Some other ladies in the room have the same thing going on. These people, little people are going to come out in a few short weeks and make the same miraculous entry. Here's the point. Physical birth is a miracle. It's an absolute miracle. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, but that's just one part of the miracle. As great as it is, the greater miracle is to experience spiritual birth. Because every one of these little people that enters this world, that's great and it's a miracle and it's wonderful. But they have to make the second birth. The entry door into heaven and eternity for little Drake and little Trey and every other little person back there in that classroom, they have to have the second birth. And that's why we do children's ministry. And that's why we pray for our kids. And it's so important that we do kids' ministry because they have to find the door for the second birth. And this is the wonder about Jesus. He says to Nicodemus and to you and to me and to every person on the planet, it's really, really simple. If you want new birth, you enter through Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says that God has given us new birth. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if you're a Christian, if you've been born again, it says that you're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So catch this. Jesus is not having a conversation with Nicodemus about behavior modification. He's not saying you need to do 10 more, 10% more of this and 10% less of that. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying you need a new life. You need a spiritual rebirth. And he makes it very clear that Jesus himself is the door. Only Jesus can regenerate us and make us new. So I got to ask you a question. If you are disconnected from God, if you're not a Christian, then you need to take the second step. You need a spiritual rebirth. Because as the Bible says in the most quoted verse, God so loved the world. He loves you and he wants you to be a part of his forever family, to be his son, to be his daughter. 
And then once that happens, what does it mean for you and me if we're Christians to be born again? What's a born again life look like? To be born again means this simple truth. And we need this in our day and age if we've ever needed it before. You're not alone. You're not alone. That's what it means to be born again. You don't stand against sin. You don't stand against anxiety. You don't stand against depression or temptation on your own. Instead, God, by His Holy Spirit, lives inside of you to help you do what you cannot do on your own strength. That's what it means to be born again. So today's passage, to summarize, comes down to this. Belief or unbelief. Nicodemus did not accept Jesus' invitation. Nicodemus was put, therefore, in the category of unbelief. And if you read verse 17 and 18, what does that mean? His unbelief resulted in condemnation and eternal separation from God. What I'm about to say is, I think, so important. Let's look back at verse 17 and 18 again. It's not God that condemned Nicodemus. It's not God that condemns an unbelieving person. It's not God that sends people to hell. Look again at verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. He's not in the condemnation business. He's in the salvation business. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Yet people still choose their own way. Verse 18, look what it says. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Jesus didn't condemn them. They condemned themselves because they chose not to believe in Jesus. I mean, here's Nicodemus, who's seemingly a curious guy about Jesus. He's a moral man. He's a good man. He's an elite spiritual teacher. And the Bible would say he's dead in his transgressions and his sin. Because of his unbelief. Now, some scholars say that later in life, Nicodemus figured it out and he became born again. He became a believer. Maybe, but the Bible doesn't say. I mean, sure, we see Nicodemus again. We'll see him in John chapter 7. We'll see him in John chapter 19. He's there with Joseph of Arimathea, John chapter 19, after Jesus is murdered on the cross. And Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, they wrap Jesus' body in burial cloth. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that he was born again. We simply cannot be certain about Nicodemus' eternity. But you know what? You can be certain about your eternity by simply believing and repenting of your sin. And you can do it right now if you bow your heads with me in prayer. God, we are so thankful for your long history of making a way out and giving us an opportunity to be saved from our sin. Just like in the Old Testament, when they were bit by snakes and looked up and saw the snake on the pole, and then we now see that that was all about you sending your son Jesus, who would be the ultimate sacrifice for all time. And we're so grateful, God, for the sacrifice that your son Jesus paid on our behalf. And as our heads bowed and our eyes are closed, if you're a person here today and you say, you know what, I think I am, but I'm not sure. I want to know that I know that I'm going to heaven, that I'll have eternal life. While your head's bowed and your eyes closed, you just say this simple prayer to God. It's just between you and God. Say something like this. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I turn from my old life and I want a new life. 
I want to be born again. God, live inside of me by your spirit and help me to do what I cannot do on my own. God, thanks for any person who's prayed that for as a recommitment or for the first time. God, we know that the Bible says that all of heaven rejoices when even just one person, one person makes that decision. God, thank you that what it means for us as Christians to be born again, that we're not alone. We're never alone. That you live inside of us to give us power to overcome. God, thank you for Connect Church. And I pray for each small group that meets throughout the week. I pray for each family that's here today. I pray that we would continue to walk this born again life, learn more about it. And we're grateful for John chapter three. In the name of Jesus, we pray.